Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. My name is Lauren LaGrasso, and this show is meant to help you make creativity the filter for your life, redefine your relationship with fear, take it out of the driver's seat, step more fully into the essence of who you are, and claim your right to have a dream and take up space. My guest today is Lola Pickett, and she can definitely help with all of those things. She's an empath, a coach, spiritual mentor, graphic designer, author, podcaster, entrepreneur, an incredible resource and teacher for empaths. Lola is best known for her podcast, Empath to Power, and for founding an eight-week training course called Empathology, which helps highly sensitive empaths claim their soul's purpose. I wanted to have Lola on the show because of her deep insight on how to turn being an empath into your greatest power. She speaks from experience on this topic. After leaving a decade-long marriage and dropping her steady corporate job in graphic design, Lola created her own business and started honing her true nature. Lola has wise insight on how to embrace your inner empath and sensitivity. Her story is just incredible and it's unexpected. She really stuck with learning who she was and peeling back layer by layer until she got to a place that just felt authentic and true to her. She didn't rush herself. She didn't rush her process. And it's inspiring. It gives me courage and I can't wait for you to hear all about it. From our conversation, you'll also learn what an empath actually is and how to start owning it if you are one, how to tune out others who are against your path to self-discovery, why self-hate is actually narcissistic, mind-blowing, the best way for empaths to channel creativity, why sexuality and creativity are deeply connected and how to get in touch with both, tips to stay grounded in your life, how finding deep love can enhance your creative output, how to tune out unhelpful voices who judge you as you change your life path, and so much more. This is a great conversation. Oh, and before I get into it, I should let you know I was also a guest on her incredible podcast, Empath to Power. So go ahead and after you're done listening to this, go check that one out. Now here she is, Lola Pickett. There are still, you know, people out there who don't know what an empath is. So could you briefly just go over what exactly an empath is? First and foremost, it is not a ticket to feel superior to other beings, <laughs> which Good I think note. is, right? Like, I think it's can, it can be really tempting when you find a label for yourself that resonates to separate you from other people and maybe make you feel like, ooh, I've got something special that other people don't, or ooh, I'm special because of the problems that I have. But, you know, like, I want to take yeah. that off the table here because- it's a big problem I have with the empath community in general is this feeling of like, oh, life is so hard for us. We feel everything and we're so connected to everyone else and we just can't like function. And it's <laughs> like, okay, and we are made differently. Yes, like biologically, physiologically, we have different nervous system wiring than the majority of the population, but that doesn't mean that we're better than and it doesn't also give us an excuse not to show up for our lives. And so- when I define an empath, I want it to be framed in that way so that it's more empowering for people versus this excuse that it can very easily become. So what an empath is, is a highly sensitive person, which is also called an HSP. And that is the biological nervous system component of being an empath, which basically means your emotional processing in your brain and how it translates sensory data that comes in from your peripheral nervous system, it runs differently than it does for the average folk. And so we feel emotions more strongly. We feel sensations more strongly. Our senses are more amplified oftentimes. Maybe it's a sense of smell, sense of hearing. We just are literally more sensitive. And people tend to look at that as like, oh, you're so like sensitive. That means you're so vulnerable and so like emotional. But a lot of the actual lived experience for a highly sensitive person is not that. It's just literal nervous system overwhelm trying to process all of this data that's coming in that we are really not made to perceive. I mean, we are and we aren't as humans. There's a reason why our brains only process a very small percentage of the sensory input that's out there because otherwise we would lose track of reality. We wouldn't know where we stand. We wouldn't be able to make choices and have discernment. So the highly sensitive person is often a very overwhelmed person and very easily mm. um, goes into sensory overload, loud parties, lots of different noises at once, lots of distraction, lots of procrastination. 
And then you add on top of it the empath factor. Now, not every highly sensitive person is an empath, but every empath is also a highly sensitive person. So that's why it's important to kind of weave that in. But empaths have almost a psychic sense of how other people are feeling. And very often it was developed uh, at a very early age as a protection mechanism so that you could read people instantaneously. How are they feeling? What do they need? What, where can I keep myself safe with this person? And so we develop this sort of emotional and energetic hypervigilance where we as empaths are constantly tending to and attending to where everybody else is at. And what this can end up doing for us is keeping us radically connected to everybody but ourselves. And that's where the escape mechanism comes in. That's where the bypassing comes in. That's where the lack of personal responsibility comes in because it's also very convenient not to be connected to yourself as an empath because it feels good to help everybody but yourself and you kind of get into this martyr complex. And also if you know yourself, then you have to take responsibility for yourself. And then you are in a place of empowerment in your life. And these are some of the things that I see every single day with my client community, with my my podcast listeners. These are some of the very, very deep struggles that folks who are empaths have. And I'm here to say, like, you matter. Your needs matter. It's okay to have needs. It's okay to have feelings. It doesn't make you codependent. It doesn't make you needy. It doesn't make you all of the burdensome people that you are trying to help, right? You're afraid of becoming the very people who you define yourself by helping. So it's a really interesting dynamic, really cool, really nuanced. Um, There's a whole factor that brings in the narcissistic element and the avoidance of narcissism because of those toxic relationships that empaths tend to get tangled into. But that's kind of like a 30,000 foot kind of view on the empath experience. How do you know if you are an empath? Like what are the key indicators that we can start to look for in ourselves? Yeah. This is going to sound a lot different from what you will find if you ask that question on the internet. So if you ask that question on the internet, you'll typically find responses that say, oh, you have a hard time discerning whether what you're feeling is yours or if it's coming from someone else. Or if you go into a room, you might all of a sudden be washed over with sadness or anxiety where you didn't have that coming into the space. That can be true. But I also find that there are a lot of empaths running around in this world that don't even know that's what's going on with them. But what they are experiencing are chronic perfectionism, chronic procrastination, anxiety, depression. There's people pleasing. That's a huge factor of of being an empath. And so when you have those behavior patterns coming up, it's part of a profile that I came up with called empath stress disorder that really goes to like the multifaceted side effects of not being in a deep right relationship with yourself and having a healthy, whole, regulated nervous system. So there's a lot of folks who are dealing with being an empath that have no idea that's what they are. A lot of those things you said kind of seem like distractions from the deep feelings, you know, like I I kind of, I recognize someone who's really close to me who has struggled a lot with anxiety and depression and taking care of other people who can't give back to her. And it, it sounds a lot like that. Yeah. So that's super helpful intel. I want to go into some of those little zones, but first I want to talk about your story because, and I'm going to read this to you because it came from your bio and it's super fascinating. So 2012 was a pivotal year for you. Your first marriage fell apart. Your oldest child received an autism diagnosis. You met the love of your life. And just before this, you also left a soul sucking corporate job and started your role as an entrepreneur. So this is like this big (laughs) explosive moment, Uh, something I call the creative crossroads where you either break down and like give everything up or you reconfigure your whole life and go at it in a different way. And so I just was curious to hear a little bit about this stage of your life. Like what were your greatest discoveries, heartbreaks, healings? What was going on for Lola in 2012? Yeah. Uh, like and the aftermath. Wasn't, yeah. What wasn't <laughs> going on for Lola in 2012? It was like, it was a crazy year of awakening for me. And I really, I think that that was the year where where my empath work really started and I didn't know it at the time. But what I had been doing for the last 15 years of my life to that point was living the life that I was supposed to want, that society said was the perfect life. I I had an actual picket fence, white picket fence, a golden retriever. I'm blonde. I'm thin. I'm fit. I lived three blocks from the beach in San Diego. I had married my college sweetheart and I was fucking miserable. And so I had checked off all these boxes. I had a well-paying career that was 
vacuous and soul-sucking and totally misaligned with my internal value system. And so I, I thought either there's something really wrong with me that I cannot find joy, happiness, and satisfaction with what I have created, or there's something wrong with the story that I've decided to believe is what my target should be for my life. And so I started to unpack all the choices that I had made around everything, like started with the career, because I think that's still scary, but it's safer than looking at your marriage, you know, looking at your sexuality. Those are are very, very confronting territories to look at. So I started by going, okay, I've totally screwed my career path. I've made all these choices that are safe because there's a salary, there's a paycheck, there's, you know, like a, a ladder I can climb. Great. But I don't want to climb this ladder. Like this is not, do I even want to climb a ladder? Do I want to be scaling a mountain instead? Do I want to be deep sea diving? Like what questions have I not asked of myself about what is possible for my life? And where am I I losing my creative power in like steering my life in the direction that I want to choose? Where do I go from here? And so I started blogging. I had this uh, anonymous blog that I called Revelish because I wanted to revel in my life ish. <laughs> right? Don't like, so many of us do that. <laughs> to go all the way in on this. And so it was like a dabbling blog in in the art of finding happiness and like what does that actually mean? And I was creatively expressed. I have a lot of words to say. I'm a communication empath. And so I very quickly drew a little bit of a following to my blog and it was like this first spark of I could make something different for my life, I think. I don't know how, you know, I'm not sure, but this is, something's happening here. There's an aliveness here. And I was still married and all the other things of my life were still kind of there. But I, I started to go, well, maybe there's like an online business I could make from this. Maybe I could monetize. I don't know. I mean, this is 2011 at the time. So it was, it was still early on in this whole kind of sphere of digital entrepreneurship. And so I took a class and I, I very quickly made friends in that community And because of how I was showing up and in my creative life, I'm a graphic designer by trade. My background is in graphic design. And so I would like create awesome graphic design stuff for my Facebook page and stuff. And people were like, how'd you do that? I'm like, I could do that for you. It's like 25 bucks, whatever. Cool. And so I very quickly had like a $10,000 month of my own stuff and was like, well, fuck this job. Like I am out. Peace. You know, and so I quit my job because I could see that that I could do something else. You know, and right. my boss is and like, and so you did freelance create. Uh, sorry, graphic yeah. design at this point. Okay, cool. yeah, exactly. Still not like my soul's calling, but so much better but than what I was doing. It gave you freedom to think exactly. about your soul's calling. So often, I totally. think you know. Just to take a side street here, I think that those corporate jobs and just like our society in general keeps us tired. So that we don't have time to think about what we could want. Absolutely. And so the fact that you yeah. took that time, you stepped out on your own, maybe it wasn't exactly what you wanted to do, but at least it gave you the freedom to think about what you wanted to do. That is so powerful and such a beautiful piece of advice. It is. And it's terrifying. You know, like I will not lie to you and say that this inquiry process is easy. And it's also confronting to realize that even your ticket to freedom isn't quite it yet. You know, like that can be a little bit frustrating as well, but it's getting you somewhere. That was, wait, can you say that again? That was a light bulb moment for me. (laughs) That your ticket to freedom still isn't quite it. And that's okay. Yeah, it's normal. Like the, the real normal, the actual normal. Yeah. It's a journey. <laughs> cool. <laughs> we can't That's get it wrong. So you know? That's so right? freeing. Yeah. It doesn't have to all be figured out right now. It doesn't mean that if you're taking, like like we've been saying, like if you're taking a sidestep that you failed or that you're not still on no. the path, you're just taking a longer way around because that's what you need to do in order to get there correctly. Yeah. Like you're never going to, you're never going to go wrong as long as you're asking scary questions. <laughs> yes. Lola snaps. Yeah, yeah. So you started asking scary questions. You're doing graphic yeah. design. You've got this incredible business. And I mean, kudos yeah. to you because I know as a mom, it's that much harder to make these kind of decisions because you've got little mouths to feed. It's true. And, but I also want to just tackle that for a second because it's actually the little mouth that 
made me ask the scary questions to begin with because I I was escaping my job, social media rabbit holes, and was reading a Facebook post. And there was somebody who had posted a poem about how all parents are liars because they tell their kids their dreams can come true while they simultaneously kill their dreams every single day. And I was like, oh my God, it's a knife in my belly. I cannot, I cannot for one second unknow that poem. Never again will I not feel the pain of that in my bones. And I looked down, my my 10-month-old son was literally on the ground next to me while I worked from home at this horrible job. And I was like, I will not be that parent. Like this moment, I will not be that parent. Like bullshit that you are scared that you can't feed your kids if you're still willing to feed them lies every day. You're feeding them something, no matter what. What are you feeding them, right? Yeah. And that those lies are are way more detrimental. Way more. Way more detrimental than you taking a chance on yourself. Especially if you come from a privileged background. I mean, come on, right? Yeah. Like, come on. Not true for everybody, but it was true for me. And so it was incumbent for me to step into that personal responsibility. And I've never looked back. Like, that was the moment that I started to go, I got to do something different. I got to do something with this blog of mine. I've got to, like, figure out how to make something real for my life. And what happens when you open that door just a crack in the safest possible container of your life, like a career choice or the way you dress or your name, like any of these things that you can take responsibility and ownership of, the door gets blown open. Like even if you're not ready for it, even if you don't want it to happen, you can't go back from that place. And so very, very, very quickly, um, all the other inauthentic aspects of my life just started to crumble like leaves in the wind. And it was very, very liberating and also very, very scary to realize I had said yes to a relationship that was fine, but not great. And am I an asshole if I want better than fine? You know, like, is it okay to leave someone that's not beating you? Is it okay to step away from something that's just okay? You know, and like, how confronting is that for everybody else who has made peace with, they think, the sacrifices that they've made? When I said no to my just okay life, I pissed off almost everybody. Like there was no friend, no family member, no one in my life that didn't think I had literally lost my mind. How did you deal with all of those opinions and emotions and fears of others coming at you. And I know you were still in your journey to figuring out you're an empath, but how did you in that moment, in that place of your learning, protect yourself? I was so sick and tired of questioning myself and abandoning myself that the pain of that was far worse. And so I just kept leaning into what I now call like the beneficial pain because we're going to be pained no matter what, you know, especially when you're an empath, you do, you feel so much and there's so much discomfort with being a highly sensitive person just because of how raw our nerves tend to be. But you can choose growth oriented discomfort or you can choose the discomfort of abandonment. And I always now choose the the beneficial fear, the beneficial pain, um, the discomfort that's going to grow me instead of stagnate me because it's it's not worth it. Otherwise, I've been in that life for too long. And so I just, I practiced speaking up differently. I practiced not explaining myself. I practiced deep breathing when I would get name called by whoever in my life that was getting mad and confronted by my choices. And what I discovered really quickly is that if you don't defend yourself, if you truly believe that there is no other truth than the one you are choosing for yourself, then there is nothing to defend. There is no fuel to conflict. And so very quickly, like those kind of conflicts would die out because I wasn't like, no, I'm not. I'm blah, blah, blah. I was just like, okay, well, I understand that you're mad. And it was like, (laughs) well, that's boring. Like that doesn't give me anything to work with, you know? (laughs) And I was like, literally I do, I stating the facts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so like the skill set that I bring to my clients now are the skills that I intuitively practiced and integrated during this time in my life when everything was coming together and falling apart. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I now realize that not everybody has has the the intuition connection with themselves to be able to tap into those resources. And so what came to me 
like in the moment from this deep need of living authentically, now I help to craft for other people so that they can see like, oh my God, I do have a toolbox of all these things that I can rely on in myself to steer correctly in my own life. So you're dealing with all this impetus from other people. You've got your graphic design business. You've got your kids and you're like, I'm going to do it for you, babies. And (laughs) all these other things start happening. And this is a really interesting side effect of choosing yourself, right? You alluded to this. But when when we start to really work on ourselves and choose ourselves and, and affirm who we are, suddenly all these other components of our life start changing and shifting and things become abundantly clear and you can't unsee. Yeah. And so walk me through that process a little bit. And I'm really curious about your, you know, your current relationship, because I think that love can be such a powerful, a powerful, I don't know the right word for it, but it can just be a powerful catalyst for us to create, right? Yeah, it is. Tell me a little bit about all this. Yeah. So as I started to ask even scarier questions, the biggest one was about my marriage. And I had realized that as a people pleaser, as a good girl, as a perfectionist and like go-getter, that I had really not stopped to consider or dared to dream that I could create something totally unique and personal to me that I didn't have to follow the recipe of you date this guy for four years, you have a couple arguments, you cry in the bathroom six weeks before you get married because everybody does that, and then you get married and happily ever after. I didn't realize that I could really create something different until I realized I could create something different with my career. And so then I was like, well, what else is possible? And so um, one of my girlfriends at the time, a very kind of big thinker and pattern shifter was like, well, have you ever thought about opening your marriage? And I was like, hell to the no, I have not. Like, I am a good girl. We don't do those things, you know? And like my dad was a, was a narcissist cheater. So it really activates me to think about expanding a relationship container like that. And it still does in, in some ways. And yet I knew that I had made all these rules for myself that were no longer resonant with the me that I was becoming. And so I thought, well, this is terrifying. So I'm going to get some books and I'm going to do some research and I'm going to see like maybe there is something there because I'm confronted by it. So that probably means it's a rich territory to explore. So uh, I read a bunch of books and it really did at the time go, well, there is something to this, you know, like maybe I could still have this relationship as an anchor, as a, a like a foundation and and go off from here and kind of explore in integrity and and be honest and have hard conversations and and you know grow and evolve in this way. It's also uh, sold as a kind of a more evolved way of relating, which I don't necessarily agree with now. But you know, it was like, okay, let's just see. So I positioned it to my then husband and he was like, well, this sounds great in theory, like great, but like I wonder how it actually is, you know, in practice. And I, I said, well, there's only like one way to find out. You, know? <laughs> you got to try. You got to you gotta open that door. <laughs> and so after a couple of months of talking about it and like really seeing if it felt right, we did. And I was the one who successfully opened the relationship. He failed every single time he tried because turns out it's not as alluring for the people he was trying to connect with as it was for the people I was connecting with who were like, hell yes, strings free, like no problem. Awesome. Um, Right. But I wasn't really looking for that either. So I very quickly realized like, I don't just need more sexual exploration. Like I, I have some deep things missing. And so when I, I met Tigray, who's my husband now, my, my like forever husband and we we connected so quickly right off the bat and my relationship was still open. But once I met him, I was like, you know, I talk about catalysts. Like I thought, even if he isn't my partner, because he was moving to Peru indefinitely, like three weeks after we met. So what the heck could happen wow. there? There is something to this. And I can't, again, unknow that there's a possibility to be met in this way by somebody so immediately, um, like so radically, deeply soulfully true, this connection that we had, because we weren't, there was nothing to hide. It was like, here's who I am, take it or leave it. Toddler, open marriage, big mess. You're welcome. Like, (laughs) I mean, if you're going to get into this, you better know what you're getting into, right? And I think my honesty really was attractive to him and he was just very honest too. And 
So it was kind of like this open and shut case of I opened my marriage, I met T. Gray, I immediately saw that I didn't want an open relationship. I didn't even want to be married to this person who I'd been with for 11 years. And, and so I left. It took a couple of weeks to figure it out. And I told T. Gray, you know, you go to Peru, like you do your thing because I don't know what this is and this isn't your fault. You know, like I know you didn't come into this going, I'm going to break up a family and I'm going to instantly adopt a two-year-old autistic boy. That sounds like fun. <laughs> and but nevertheless, it was. No. it was like, I mean, there's so many reasons why it was perfect. It's craziness. But we didn't know that at the time. And so he went to Peru. I left my marriage. I moved into this sweet little apartment with my son and came up with a custody arrangement. And even though it was very, very awkward, the communication skills that I was building from just not explaining myself and being open and and communicative and failing miserably at it and learning my lessons, it meant that we could create something new and better between my practice husband and I, that's what I like to call him, <laughs> and, and that I could be available to whatever wanted to unfold with T. Gray and I too. And I like to say that because we didn't have a future together, that's what gave us one. Mm. Okay. I have a lot to break down right now. You said you were explaining yourself and you were being honest. I could see somebody listening to that. I know what you're saying, but could you mm -hmm. explain what you mean by not explaining yourself? Yeah. Because you can, you can tell someone what's going on and still not explain yourself, right? What does that mean? Yes. So that looks like simply stating what is up for you without needing to justify it, without needing to only reveal pieces and parts of it that are palatable. Sometimes that's a wise choice. We could talk about that too. But it's really being unapologetic with what is true, non-judgmental and receptive to what is true for the other person and not needing to, um, to justify yourself or sell your case. I had spent so much of my marriage selling my case and I didn't realize it at the time until I stopped doing that. How To yourself was. or others or both? Both. Okay. Both. Yeah. Convincing. If you need to convince someone of something, it's not worth it. Yes. You have to look at where you're not convinced yourself. When you're convinced, there is no explanation needed other than just a statement of what's up. You know, so it's it's a boundary violation of your own boundaries to justify your truth. A lived mm -hmm. truth needs no explanation. It stands on its own. So... The other thing I'm interested by, and you, I can't remember the word you use, but I, I have the same reaction, like growing up Catholic and there was a lot of shame around sex in my house and like be a good girl and don't have sex till marriage and my mom talking about how all she ever did was kiss. And so I have a hard time claiming that part of myself as much as I actually want to because yeah. I'm still afraid to be bad. Yeah. And I find it so beautiful that even though like, yes, that wasn't the path for you, that in opening yourself up to that different piece of yourself, you were actually able to find a deeper piece of who you were and love and creativity. And so mm -hmm. I guess I kind of just want to talk about that and yeah. how we can start to break that down in our own lives. Yeah. Well, I, I think that one of my pivotal like sexual awakening moments that really did have a lot to do with like creative block was when I had ordered a vibrator on the internet. And this was like at the tail end of my marriage. I don't think I'd even opened it yet. But I was realizing that there was some other aspect of myself that was missing because I was reading Twilight and I was like, oh. where the F is the sparkly magic in my life? And I need some sort of vampiric love that's not abusive like that novel is. But you know, <laughs> It was inspiring. Yes, <laughs> like yes. No, I get it. There's magic missing. You know, like I'm missing that like juice for someone. And I don't know that I've ever experienced that. And can I even experience it with myself? And if I can't experience it with myself, how can I ever experience it with someone else? So I bought this vibrator, giant purple, very confronting thing, which sat in my closet for like two weeks unopened because I was like terrified of it. Yeah. And so I'm like sitting there all alone in my house one day. My son was out with my practice husband and I was like, okay, 
now is the time. Now is the time. So I bust it out and I sit there and I'm like going through all these stories in my head. I can hear my thoughts. You know how sometimes our thought patterns are very obvious in these moments. And it was like, why are you doing this? This isn't going to feel good. You're broken. You don't have access to this. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are even needing this? Like all of this shit just came up and bubbled up and was activated by me choosing to engage in a more proactive way with my sexuality. And I sat there and I listened to that voice and I thought, you're the one who's in your own way. Like you are the one who is inhibiting yourself from even seeing what's out there. You know, like you're so scared to get a disappointing result or to get a mind-blowing result that you're stifling yourself so you get neither. Yeah. Brutal. Really brutal. So I turned it on and it turned me on and I found out that I'm not broken and that I, I do want that juice in my life. I do want that. And, and that instigated a whole pattern of, of, of exploration around it because I either figured I didn't want a male because I wasn't attracted to my husband anymore. And so I would read like all this um, queer erotica to see like, is that where I want to go with this. And I was like, these are nice like stories. I totally get it, but it's not, it's totally not doing it for me. So I don't think that is actually how I'm made, you know? So that's inconvenient because it'd be great to just blame it on the fact that I don't like men. But in fact, I do. And so that means I don't want to be with this man, or at least I need something else going on. I need to figure out what that is. And that really led me to open the doors to the relationship and go, okay, like, let me just see what's possible. What is it that I even like and want? Can I like no longer be afraid of being the bad girl? Can I own being the bad girl? Can I let that be integrated into who I am? Can I be turned on by my inner bad girl? Um, And not in a way that becomes fetishized or addictive, but integrated. Like this could be a part of who I am. And the open relationship really gave that to me. And my, my husband and I joke about it now because we had both read the book Ethical Slut, which is like one of the Bibles of open relationships. And when we came together and then decided to stay together, we were like, well, we don't really need to be ethical sluts because we're just going to be together ourselves, but we could be sacred sluts and we could just be everybody for each other and like really play with that. Um, And that's what's happened. So I have this beautiful, safe container of a committed relationship in which to explore all these aspects of myself. I mean, so much sexual trauma, sexual shame, sexual abuse. Um, strange, very human questions and desires can get explored in the safety of our space with no shaming, no embarrassment, no judgment. Um, And so, of course, it keeps things interesting eight years in, but also it means that I don't have to be embarrassed about wanting to get tied up every once in a while or, you know, like, yeah, you know what? I I think I really like to bite people. Okay. Like whatever it is. Whatever it is. I mean, we are all so much more than we can imagine or that our culture approves of. And it's so strange living in America because we have this like highly sexualized everything, especially women's bodies are highly sexualized. And yet sexuality is forbidden, judged, shamed. Um, And so we have these like horrible opposites that create so many patterns of repression and then therefore addiction. And to find a place in my own life where I can just go there all the way, I can totally be like the prim, proper, good girl, virgin, or I can be like the dominatrix and I can be all of that and still hold it in myself. Right. And that's just a good lesson for life in general. We're not one thing. We're many things. And the sooner we can get comfortable with that, the sooner we can be ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And we're always in our own ways, you know, like talking about how that relates to creativity. I mean, creativity and sexuality live in the same energy center in our body. And so they're inherently related. And so, of course, as I unleashed the blocked up sexual energy in my life, I also unleashed so many more things to say and designs to come up with. And like creativity just exploded probably right out of where everything else was exploding out of. The root chakra, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Um, you know, you spoke about shame and like other people's voices in your head. And you obviously like went through that when you were making this career transition and this massive life transition. But how, how do we do that when it's not like, you know, it's not like it's my uncle saying something to me. It's like his voice implanted in my head, rebranded as my own voice. How do we rewire that? Well, first we have to identify it. It's really hard to rewire a pattern that we're not aware of. It's totally possible, but it takes some very specific processes to do that that are not to be done on your own. And so when you're on your own and you're kind of facilitating this process for yourself, we have to connect to our bodies. You know, like, what am I feeling when I have that thought of you're not good enough or you shouldn't try that or what are they going to say? When we've internalized someone else's voice and it's packaged as our own, there is a biological disconnect, a lack of resonance, a dissonance, a heaviness, a closing off. And so anytime we have a thought that then makes us immediately feel closed or shrink or tight, um, constricted, any of those words, that's a clue. You know, and you might not even know or ever know whose voice it was that you internalized. The most important piece to recognize is that it probably isn't yours. And I think a lot of empaths can really get into a cycle of distraction around like, well, who is, is it? Wh- who's, whose anxiety am I feeling? It's not as important as feeling it in the moment and then going, well, what do I need? Like, what do I need right now? Who am I being right now? You know, if you walk into a room and all of a sudden you feel washed over with grief and anxiety, okay, why did you walk into that room in the first place? Did you walk there for that experience? You can choose something else. So do you believe in like putting up, I've heard people say, put yourself in an energy bubble, put yourself in a bubble, surround yourself with light. Like, do you believe in that? Or do you believe in really like more practical tools? Like you just said, like choose your own experience. I think that shields only work some of the time for some of the people. And what I hear over and over again in my community is, I feel like this should work, but it doesn't. And I'm still getting the onslaught, you know? Why is that? Is it that I'm not good enough at my energy work? Is it I've got too many cords coming out of my body attached to other people? Like, do I need to just continue cord cutting all day long? You could do that. What is cord cutting for those that don't know? Yeah, Yeah. so cord cutting um, speaks to this idea that when we have an energetic or emotional connection with somebody else, that a cord forms between us. And mm-hmm. sometimes that connection is toxic. And so that cord keeps you looped into that toxic energy and energy goes back and forth between you. A lot of times toxic people will actually like almost try to implant a cord in you to take from you and siphon your good energy, your healing vibes, your wonderfulness so that they don't have to take responsibility for their lives. So when you cord cut, you are essentially in a ritual sense going no more to this. And you can use like a scissors and string to kind of represent it and actually cut a string. Or you can just meditate and envision that the cords are getting cut. It doesn't really matter. Um, And that can be really effective. But what I find more often than not is that by agreeing to the idea of protection, what you are saying unconsciously is that I'm not strong. I need protection. What if that's not actually the truth? What if the world is inherently unsafe and you can still be powerful in it? We don't, we we like to think that what we need is safety in perfect conditions. We're never going to have it. There is trauma. There is confusion. There is darkness. These are a factor of just human existence. We're never going to get rid of it. I don't believe we're ever going to get rid of it. I don't believe that's what ascension or 5D or whatever evolution path we're on is really about. I believe it's about integrating those dark pieces inside of ourselves, owning and embracing them so that we stop perpetuating them in unconscious ways on other people. And to do that, we have to stop protecting ourselves against what we perceive to be trying to take from us. People can only take from us if we agree from it, if we agree to it at some level. And I'm not talking about like getting robbed physically. I'm talking about energy, right? Like shit happens. We don't ask for it. Ooh, like an energetic contract almost. Almost like an energetic contract. And so my 
belief system, and nobody has to agree with this, but my belief system and my experience is that the more authentic to yourself you are and the more courageously self-expressed you are and the more true to your nature you are and you radiate out that way of being in your life, that is your protection. Your protection is your own nature radically expressed and available for all the world to see. Well, I like that a lot more because I think the other one invites you to beat up on yourself or like you said, feel powerless. And exactly, it hasn't worked for me. So that's why I asked the question. Well, yeah. And like the other thing is even just in a, a biological sense, as a highly sensitive person and as an empath, you are literally wired to connect to other people. So how do you think your system is going to respond to you saying, oh, don't connect? Like you won't be able to to maintain that because it's not in your nature to be disconnected. So protection is this idea of like putting up a boundary or a wall that's keeping other people out. But but really what's most importantly is letting yourself out. Mm. I love that. You spoke about biology. I know that there's some people listening that are super practical minded. And the great thing about you is you've got the goods on every side. (laughs) So you talked about some of the tools you use are neuroscience and physiobiology. Mm -hmm. How do they come into play with your work? Yeah. So when we are hypersensitive, we have a sensory system that is essentially overstimulated and out of control. And so what we can learn to do on a very practical sense is learn to work with our physical embodied senses, sense of smell, sense of touch, taste, sound, sight, and really learn to harness them, partner with them intentionally. And we can also learn how to shut down or expand the aperture of our sensory gating mechanisms intentionally instead of having them all be wide open so you're receiving everything. The more that you practice narrowing your sensory focus, can I listen for the lo- the farthest away sound? Uh. If you listen for the farthest away sound, what do you notice happens? Where does your attention go? It's not going to everything else that's up, right? It's going to listen and track that one thing. And so for those of us who are distracted and have a hard time focusing, I propose that you might not have something wrong with you like ADHD or something like that. You may just have overstimulated senses, and by practicing this, you take your nervous system out of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, and you put it back into a state of being socially aware, calm, and present. You're learning essentially to take it out of all the other nerves and help support your vagus nerve, which determines your sense of well-being. It's very, very powerful stuff, and it's like... And my students are always like, I did not know I was signing up for a science class, but this is very cool. You know, <laughs> this is very, very cool. And, and other things we can do is with our sense of smell, because our olfactory processing in our brains is part of our oldest system, our limbic system. And it bypasses the prefrontal cortex, which is in charge of identity and memory processing and understanding. And so when we use smell intentionally, we can bypass our stories, bypass our patterns, and essentially reprogram ourselves to a different way of being by going to that more ancient instinctual self that we have inside. So you can partner smell with a statement of like, this is who I'm being. You can wear perfume intentionally, which I do all the time, to like remind you of this is who I'm being right now. Let me bypass all the stories and cultural programming and trauma and just go straight to the source. So you would just smell the scent and say, this is who I'm being, like when you find yourself in some sort of triggered state. Yeah. And you can use specific scent profiles to amplify specific intentions. So clearing, you need something that's light, bright, and mentally stimulating in an up and out energy like rosemary. And if you look at the plant rosemary, like I'm also a, a clinical herbalist, so I get real geeky about this stuff. But if you look at how the plant rosemary grows, it's very erect, it's very straight, all of its leaves are straight, and they're up and out. And so when you use the scent of rosemary like an essential oil, and not like topically, but just literally smelling it, it'll help bring whatever needs to be up and out, up and out of your system. It clears your mind. And so it's got this very, very cool effect, whereas root-based scents like vetiver, which is almost in every single famous fragrance of the world, it's the base note will ground you because it is literally coming from the part of the plant that is in the ground. When we talk about grounding, we're talking about soil, earth, rocks, things that are like on the ground held deeply by the force of gravity. That's why we feel so good when we lay on the ground. Getting grounded is not like an esoteric concept. It's literal. (laughs) 
How do you know if you need to get grounded? Mm. Well, when you're feeling flighty and distracted, um, having a hard time focusing yourself, feeling very influenced and like indecisive in your life, and also just like kind of anxiety, fluttery, like twittery up, 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 up like this. Um, there's a physical sensation that goes with it, but there's also just that lack of like, I can't think of the right word. I can't put a name to what I'm thinking. Like you just kind of feel foggy, hazy out of it. And when you're grounded, your voice even changes. So if you learn to listen to your own voice and us as podcasters can, can be really practiced at this because we hear ourselves talk all the time, <laughs> you can hear when you're less grounded in your voice. When you're grounded, your voice has this deeper resonance inside of your body. You're bringing it up from a deeper place in your body. When you're not grounded, you're thinking up here, there's more air in your voice. So these are some indications that you might not be as grounded as you'd like to be. That is fascinating because, you know, my voice has changed and I know it's part of aging as well, but since I moved to Los Angeles in 2011, my voice has changed dramatically. I used to talk like this, like, hi, right? how are you? My name's Lauren. Nice to meet you. And then all of a sudden it became like, hi, I'm Lauren. And it's interesting. I never thought of it from that perspective. And so yeah. that makes so much sense that as I've learned more about myself and worked on myself, that grounding. grounding. Yeah. That's something I actively need to work on. So I'll check out some vetiver. Yeah, check out some vetiver. It's great. And I, I, I put it in all of the little fragrance blends that I make for myself because I feel like we could never get too grounded, most of us. How do you define yourself, first of all, today, like in this skin? Mm. How would you describe yourself? Oh, my God. that's I know a that's the hardest question. question. <laughs> well, I actually would define myself as Lola. And the reason is that I chose this name. My birth name was not Lola. And I never felt grounded or resonant with a name that I was given. And four years ago, I finally found my name. Very complicated, very cool intuitive process that led to that. And when I found my name and fully embraced it, legally changed it, did all the things, something in me really changed. And when I went further with that and I made that be my brand and I made that be like how I am publicly known it's like I get the permission to own and embrace myself and always evolve because there is no title to it. It's just being. You know, this is just like me. You know, I don't need to I don't need to get my elevator pitch in gear, right? I just need to be myself. What a great lesson for everyone. You know, it's like I think so many of us try to figure out like, well, how do I bring all the pieces together and you are you. The pieces are already together. It doesn't need to get under one roof. The roof is you. Yeah. And it's the roof. And it's called the foundation, Lola. The walls. <laughs> all of it. And of the course I house. have like, you know, my my bio and things like that with a title. But if if someone were to ask me, like, who are you? I would say, I'm Lola. No explanation needed. So Lola, <laughs> when did you transition from the graphic design? into like how did you figure out that you wanted to coach empaths like where did this <laughs> first of all you didn't discover you were an empath till you were in your late 30s yeah you like I thought you were in your late 20s as it is you have the most youthful glow probably because you know who you are um <laughs> but that's that's fascinating to me so how did you find this path yeah this path has been not linear and not at all like handed down from God um it has been a real process of clarifying and letting go and like continuing to be curious about who is it that I'm really serving? What are the common traits of these folks? Um, and what am I learning about myself in the process? Because I think that teaches us almost as much as anything else. And when I was doing graphic design and then branding for entrepreneurs and other businesses, I kept having to mentor the folks that I was working with on the visibility that was associated with stepping into a brand or creating a brand because people would feel unworthy of what it was that I could see in them and then reflect back to them in the graphic design that I would do. And so I was having to like help them make peace with their own awesomeness so that they could like hand out that business card or like say, this is my website or what have you. And, and so my work predominantly became 
than this mentorship aspect. And I thought, well, this is way more fulfilling to me than doing the design. I'm, I'm like dragging my heels every time I got to bust out Adobe Illustrator. I really <laughs> don't want to do it. You know, I just would much rather have these conversations about what's holding you back. What are you scared of? You know, what what's what's up with this? And so then I like hung up my shingle and said, all right, I'll say that I'm I'm a coach, you know, and so I started to get coaching clients mostly around still branding, like how do I express myself and what do I what do I need to do to align myself with blah, blah, blah. And then it just continued to evolve. People would ask me questions consistently and I would create classes to answer the questions and offer those. Um, for a long time, I was actually in a very witchy aspect of my work, which was animal spirit work. And so I, I, as part of my empath gifts, can feel the vibration of someone in the form of an animal and then reflect that back to them so they can see themselves without all the human stuff attached to it. You know, like if I say, mm. I feel leopard energy in you and this is what that means to me, it was a very powerful conversation to have with somebody. I did that for a few years. Um, and that's like where I first got my like internet first level of internet fame was like, I'm the, I'm the person for that. And then I was like, no, I actually don't want to be the person for that. I don't want to get into cultural appropriation. I don't want to like, oh, yeah. this is just a distraction. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And it's, I don't want to do harm. So I'm going to turn that off and um, focus elsewhere. And for a while, I thought it was going to be around identity crisis because hello, obviously I've had a number of those and I'm very familiar with that whole painful evolution and exploration. But really what it came down to was this whole um, this whole empath dynamic and how we give ourselves away and how we escape responsibility and how we're not so different from the narcissists we hate. And mm -hmm. that came about from some pretty tough conversations inside my family of origin that like triggered the heck out of me. And then I realized there's really something here. And so I started posting about the results of those pieces of awareness and everybody in my community was like, oh, yeah, like that. That. Yeah. Uh, you had something on your Instagram that made me fall out of my chair earlier. Self-hate is narcissistic. Can yep. you speak on that? This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself... What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you are so enamored with hating yourself, you have no room for anyone else in your heart. You are just as self-focused as somebody who is self-aggrandizing, which is also just a form of self-hate. So self-hatred keeps you from making connections with others. It's convenient. It's trauma-informed, trauma-based. You know, it's not something to go and hate yourself around hating yourself. That's not going to be beneficial. But to realize that your lack of self-love is making you just as selfish as you're afraid you'll ever be. Wow. You're empty of yourself. And that's why it's so triggering for an empath to be around somebody who is emotionally abusive, is a, a narcissist. You said we're I'm putting myself in the category. I mean, I, yeah. I believe I am. But you said empaths are uh, especially susceptible to gaslighting. Is that also part of the reason why? 
It's part of the reason why, and because empaths are often in relationship from a very early age, usually with a parent who is narcissistic, what they will internalize from that is self-abandonment because they don't want to be narcissistic. It's like they will go to the other end of the extreme of, I don't need to prioritize myself. If I think highly of myself, I'm selfish, I'm arrogant, I'm narcissistic. But the truth is, if you dig into any narcissist below the surface, they're empty of themselves. They're absolutely devoid of a sense of self. They need you to validate who they are, prove to them who they are, prove to them their worthiness. They're not full of themselves. They're absolutely the opposite of that. And so actually empaths and narcissists are both very often empty of themselves. And so the answer to all of it is to truly be full of yourself, which is like, what? (laughs) You're saying I should be full of myself? But my question is, if you're not full of yourself, who are you full of? I mean, the whole interview has just been one great mic drop, but (laughs) certainly a place to drop one again. Yeah. What the fuck? Right? It's very counterintuitive because you really are so invested in not becoming selfish that you empty yourself of yourself and you're left just as empty as any narcissist out there. You become the thing you're afraid of. It's a very deep and important lesson. Something I've been working through a lot just in the past few weeks is disappointment. Mm. I'm I'm curious, like, it's just so unavoidable. Like, I keep trying to <laughs> avoid being disappointed. And, and, and I'm really disappointed at the, about this one thing. And I just, I can't avoid it. And it sucks because I know I have to go through it, but I'm trying to avoid it. What's your take on disappointment? Where does it come from? And how should we go through it? Well, I think it comes from a couple of places. One is expectations. You know, when our expectations aren't met, it's disappointing. And one comes from desire and love and like hope. And sometimes those desires aren't met either. And so I think it's important to look at where the disappointment is coming from when you're experiencing it. Is it coming from misplaced expectations? And if so, where can I release myself from having expectations, which is like a lifelong process? You know, not, not most of us are not inherent Buddhist monks. So, you know, like we need to practice like, oh, I'm having expectations again. Okay. Like, let me just proactively let them be and kind of like open myself up to possibilities here that I might not expect um, good or bad or whatever. And then the other one is just to grieve the losses of the things that didn't come to fruition in the way we hoped or didn't pan out, you know, that, that it's okay to be disappointed, but not to let that keep us from wanting something again mm-hmm. in fear of having disappointment. And I think the other thing I'm thinking about, cause it was in particular was something where I put myself out there. Yeah. Um, I'm proud of myself that I did it. And so I guess I can take solace in the fact that even though I didn't get the result, the thing that I was in control of, I can still be proud of myself for. And it's 100%. not hundred percent you need to stop doing just because you don't get the result you want, you know? No. We're not in control of the results we get. You know, like as much as our manifestation gurus would say otherwise, we don't always get to say what happens. And just because you didn't want something bad enough isn't the reason that things don't always pan out. You know, like that's bullshit. We, a lot of us want a lot, you know, and it's not always going to be a yes. And can we be okay with that? Can we not internalize a meaning from that experience? Like this doesn't mean you don't have what it takes. It doesn't mean that you're not good enough or worthy. It doesn't mean anything. And actually taking away the meaning of things can be very liberating. Like it can feel scary to go, well, the world is meaningless, you know, like, <laughs> ugh. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah. actually meanings are a prison a lot of times. You know, so if we can like remove the meaning that we make in the interpretation, it it creates space for creativity. Like, well, how could I interpret this differently? How can I see this differently? Reality is perception, right? And so your perception is what you're in charge of. In your experience with all the empaths you've worked with, what are some of the best ways for empaths to channel their creativity that you've seen? Mm to make things that are ugly intentionally is really, really healing because we are also most of us perfectionists. And so we won't even create something unless we feel like we'll do it perfectly. And it keeps us in paralysis a lot of the time. So one of my favorite assignments for my clients who are feeling blocked 
and who are empaths and like can feel all the projections of everybody else mm -hmm. before you even create the thing is like, well, go to the very extreme of like the ugliest possible thing you can imagine creating and make that. Because then if you've made that, like you've already gone there. And so like your worst fear has come true. It's horrible. Nobody will like it. People will judge it. And then you can have that experience and go, oh, I survived that. Like that was no big deal. So now I can make whatever it is that I want. The other yeah. thing that I really like is to use different body parts. You know, we're very limited with how things should be. And so I like to have people put paint or charcoal on their feet and make art that way with, you know, big piece of butcher paper or write with your non-dominant hand, all ways to really get into patterns of how things should be and getting yourself out of that pattern. Empaths mm -hmm. are trapped by shoulds most of the time, and it's not even their own. And so to like set yourself free of the, the should box is very liberating. You've got some amazing courses on your website. We've alluded to a couple of them. What do you think would be like a great starting place for someone who thinks they're an empath or maybe someone who knows that they're an empath and is specifically a creative? Where would you advise them to start? I would say don't start with a course yet. I would say come to take my quiz about what kind of empath you are. It's not like a binary on-off switch. You're either an empath or you aren't. It's actually much more nuanced than that. And I have this really fun quiz that I put together that's kind of like an intuitive process. It's just a few questions. It's super quick, um, but we use a lot of imagery for it. And you will get this pretty accurate psychological profile of what kind of empath you are, which can then lead you down further roads of exploration, both on my podcast or just going into that place of self-awareness of like, oh, this is how this shows up for me. This is the kryptonite of this particular flavor of superpower. And these are some kind of viable paths for me to explore for myself, especially if you're in a place like I was of what am I doing with my life? What actually would feel good to do as a career or just as a practice? And that'll have some guidance for you as well. I took it. It's amazing. It's really fun. I have this thing I've been saying for a few years now, and I want to know how it hits you. The best thing and the worst thing about you are usually the same. I love it. I love it. I think it's so true. I think that our greatest superpowers are also our kryptonites. I believe that the things that we hate about ourselves or are bored by in ourselves or come easily to us and therefore we dismiss are also our greatest gifts. And when we are, stop being afraid of ourselves and all the things that we think are wrong with us, those pieces that we judged once are the very pieces of medicine we are meant to serve with in the world. I love it. One of the goals of this podcast is to help people redefine their relationship with fear. So take it out of the driver's seat so it's not making decisions for them. What's your current relationship with fear and how do you work on taking it out of the driver's seat? I'm always afraid. I am a very anxious person, but I have recognized that I can let fears paralyze me. I can let what ifs paralyze me. Or I can lean into the things that I'm afraid of doing that I'm called to and still be afraid, but be moving in the direction of growth and joy and expression versus repression. And that's how I deal with it. I, I ask myself, okay, so you're afraid. Is this fear getting you anywhere beneficial? If not, then change directions. You're going to be scared anyway. Might as well do it for a good purpose. <laughs> I love it. When is a time in your life when you felt most like yourself and how do you work toward making more moments like that? Mm, I think I felt most like myself at this really powerful ceremonial place in the middle of the jungle in the Amazon. And the reason why I felt most like myself is that temporarily all of my curtains of shame dropped and I was allowed to just be my full self. And by I mean by allowed, I mean I was allowing myself. And so I I endeavor to create those conditions for myself as often as I can. I'm not always going to be in the Amazon. Doesn't always even resonate to be in the Amazon. But what was it about that space that was so permissive to me and so safe feeling to me? I can recreate those conditions in my life. And I do, you know, shame. Shame has a purpose. It's a sign of something that's misaligned, but I don't want to stay there. And I want to keep endeavoring to drop those, those curtains around me and just be as naked as possible. 
Why not? Drop the curtains. <laughs> Metaphorical Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so my final question is about little Lola. Because I believe creativity is deeply connected to the inner child. And I'm wondering if you and a younger version of yourself were standing in the same room, whatever age you think of her, and you're standing in the same room looking at each other. What do you think she would say to you and why? I think she would say, I'm so glad I don't have to stop playing dress up (laughs) because that was her favorite thing to do. And she lost that for a long time and met everybody else's expectations of how you're supposed to look and attire yourself. And I have the most fun with style I've ever had in my life as a way of expressing my authentic self and letting go of other people's expectations and definitions. And I think she would find great hope and solace that it doesn't have to die. And what would you say to her and why? I would say to her... It's okay to disappoint other people because it's so much more important to not disappoint yourself. Lola, thank you. This has been an invaluable hour of time. I really appreciate you and all the work you're doing. I think you're amazing. And thank you for sharing your heart and soul with these creative humans. I'm so blessed to be here. Thank you for offering your ears and your hearts. Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Lola Pickett. Listen to her podcast, Empath to Power, wherever good podcasts are found. And actually, I am the guest on the most recent episode of her podcast. So go ahead, check that out. It was an incredible conversation. You can follow her at the Lola Pickett and check out her website for more info about her services at lolapickett.com. That's L-O-L-A-P-I-C-K-E-T-T.com. Thanks, Liz Full, for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And Liz also has a brand new single out today called Loose Ends that I was honored to co-write. And it's just such a great song. It's the first of many in an album that Liz wrote, sang, produced, played literally every instrument on. I think she mixed it herself. So go check out this song. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Spotify. Share the show with a friend. Post about it on social media. If you tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, I will repost to show my gratitude. Also do live Instagram shows every Sunday. I'll be doing one this Sunday, August 9th on my IG page at Lauren LaGrasso. And I go live at 2.30 Eastern. So join me there for a little hybrid of my music shows and Unleash Your Inner Creative. My wish for you this week is that you're brave enough to reinvent yourself, even if it's scary, even if you have a life that you quote unquote should want. You deserve to have a life that reflects who you are inside. Let us all be brave enough like Lola to start peeling back the layers and stepping toward the person we know we can be. I love you. And I believe in you. I'll talk with you on Friday.